done as the COVID crisis uh, perhaps, you know, doubles back our way. William, thank you very much. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan, not much movement in the markets at the moment. The Nikkei 225 is completely flat. Same in South Korea as well. The market there is stagnated at the unchanged line. In Australia, the market is up about a third of a percent and looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about a half a percent firmer in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, gold slipping a little bit this morning. It's at $1,983 an ounce. And Brent crude oil is trading at $45.33 a barrel. Do stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong just after the news. The weather forecast for today, the standby signal number one is in effect. It's going to be mainly cloudy with a few showers, hot with sunny intervals in the morning. The maximum temperature is going to be around 31 degrees with squally thunderstorms and more showers later. And the outlook is for it to be windy with heavy, heavy squally showers and thunderstorms tomorrow. It's 28 degrees right now, 80% relative humidity. 31. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A medical expert has questioned the effectiveness of the government's voluntary COVID-19 testing programme, saying mass testing is traditionally compulsory and done under lockdown conditions. The government is hoping to test up to 5 million people during a two-week period. Dr Siddharth Sridhar, a University of Hong Kong microbiologist, told RTHK some people may think if they don't have any symptoms, they won't want to waste their one free test. I would see this more as an attempt to improve test availability in Hong Kong. So it may fulfill some of the effects that a mass testing would perform, but it doesn't quite fall under the umbrella of an actual mass testing activity simply because it's voluntary. How many people actually take up the offer be yet to be seen? I would think that the mentality would be, hey, if I don't have symptoms and if I only have one free test, I wouldn't want to waste the mass test. In a way, so it'll entirely depend on how many people actually do the test in terms of how effective it is. Less than three months before the U.S. presidential election, the Democratic Party is about to kick off its convention online. The event's designed to drum up support for Joe Biden and formally nominate him as the party's candidate. Here's the BBC's Jane O'Brien. The whole purpose of a convention is the business side of it, which is to formally nominate the presidential candidate Joe Biden and his running mate Kamala Harris, but also to generate enthusiasm, excitement, and to create that all-important convention bump as they head into the final stretches of the campaign. Now, can that happen when you're doing this virtually, when you don't have thousands of people coming in from all over the country, mingling, talking about ideas, talking about policy. What will it actually look like and will anybody watch? Opposition protesters in Belarus have again poured onto the streets of the capital Minsk after the beleaguered President Alexander Lukashenko held out the prospect of a gradual transition. Several thousand people have gathered outside a detention centre in Minsk demanding the release of demonstrators detained in often brutal police operations last week. Veronika Sepkala campaigned against Mr Lukashenko alongside opposition presidential candidate Svetlana Tikhonovskaya. She said the anger among people was real. 
We see there is no democracy in Belarus. We see there is no freedom of speech, freedom of uh, meetings in Belarus. And we see that the people of Belarus uh, are getting poorer and poorer each year. We want Belarus to be changed as soon as possible. And we want Lukashenko to be out of the country. We don't want him as a president any longer. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about COVID-19 and Hong Kong's public spending. The financial secretary says the situation has caused a severe blow to our economy and has revised real GDP growth for 2020 from minus 6% to minus 8%. Meanwhile, the government has already projected a budget deficit of $290 billion after announcing various relief packages since the outbreak, totaling $287.5 billion, assisting effective industries and the public. The stated aims of the policy are, first, to help businesses stay afloat, second, to keep workers in employment, third, to relieve financial burdens of individuals and businesses, and fourth, to assist the economy to recover after the epidemic is contained. Many industries from the laundry trade to vehicle maintenance and the self-employed have been targeted in funding so far. Is that effective? And as economic pressure grows, how should the government spend in the rest of the year? Should we be careful because this may be a very long-term problem? Or should we be spending generously now that the rainy day is here? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our telephone number is 233 88266 is the number to call. Uh, just before we get to uh, today's topic, some uh, reflections from uh, yesterday. Uh, Matthew, uh, first of all, uh, our Lama Matthew on Facebook says, any pro-Beijing supporters joining the programme, that's yesterday's programme, to advocate for the health code system and address concerns that this is a really a Trojan horse for introducing mainland-style digital surveillance and the social credit system in Hong Kong. Surprised if there are suddenly none willing to join the programme, as last week they were so out vocal in advocating it, including the DAB and Starry Lee. And Tom says, it's pretty clear looking around the world, including places like New Zealand, the countries with the least divisive politics tend to have the best coronavirus responses. I hope the pandems don't spread fake news about government measures to help people deal with COVID-19, just because it's an easy way to manipulate people's existential fears for their own political gain. Right now, freedom from worry about COVID-19 is the most important freedom there is. That comes from Tom. Uh, John Kowloon says on yesterday's programme, your guests, Kwok Kaki and Professor Cowling, both expressed their lack of support for universal testing, citing the very high cost as a key reason for their view. And while I'm not saying I disagree with their conclusion, it would be incorrect to focus entirely on the cost side of such a programme without factoring in the revenues that Hong Kong is losing due to COVID. Dr Kwok cited a cost figure of $2.2 billion for each exercise of universal testing, or as much as $100 billion annually if this was carried out weekly. But as Professor Cowling pointed out, this amount could be sharply lowered if a government adopted a mass testing policy. So let's take Dr Kwok's number of 100 billion, half it to 50 billion to factor in mass testing. While such a number is still very high, it pales in comparison to the economic damage that COVID is inflicting on the economy. Take just two numbers as examples. In a normal year, i.e. pre-COVID and pre-last year's anti-government protests, tourism spending reached 328 billion, while locals spent around 100 billion in restaurant 
Hamilton bars. Visitor arrivals have since almost entirely dried up, while local consumption at restaurant bars is down sharply. Put another way, COVID is likely to wipe out at least $300 billion from the revenue side of the ledger this year. A multiple of any costs related to a ramp-up in testing. That is from uh, John Kowloon. Uh... This is from Magnus, who says, Thank you to Professor Cowling for another batch of eminently sensible guidelines this morning. He must despair. Nothing has changed. The facts remain as they have throughout. And yet here we are in Hong Kong, still discussing it as though it were some intractable puzzle. The approach to tackle COVID is very well understood. A, secure zones via quarantine borders. B, discipline at the personal level, which aggregates to an effective community response, uh, e.g. Uh, e masks and hygiene. C, an efficient ongoing testing regime to provide early alert of any outbreak. And D, a properly resourced contact tracing unit so that any outbreak is quickly suppressed. Of these four elements, sadly, the public has control over only one. Surprise, surprise, that is the area where Hong Kong excels. You simply could not ask for a better public response in fighting COVID. What a huge advantage Hong Kong has in this respect. The other three uh, are huge fail. Uh, sadly, hardly surprising when one considers that even rationalising the fair pricing of the three cross-harbour tunnels is beyond their wit. So the economic and social carnage rolls on. Our government has been shown to be derelict in their primary duty, that being the protection of Hong Kong citizens. Displaying outrageous stupidity and recklessness, they waive COVID in via dumb quarantine loopholes. Then as a result of an inadequate testing regime coupled with an under-resourced contact tracing team. They initially had the outbreak crucial time to grow and subsequently have been unable to contain it at proper speed. For a virus, a multiplicative threat, speed of response is absolutely critical. And what provides for speed of response? Preparation. It's not like we don't understand the measures need to be taken. They're the same as we needed ever since COVID arrived. Patently, the Hong Kong authorities have simply not been prepared. What the hell have those clowns been doing since January? The truth is our government has set us up for this enormously damaging debacle through sheer fecklessness. Enough. Sort the borders out. Implement an appropriate on ongoing test regime and properly resource the contact tracing. Uh, do this now. We've had enough. That's uh, from uh, Magnus. And uh, Herman says, I have a question. Uh, some have suggested that contact tracing app might be preferable to universal testing. And though I agree that contact tracing apps have tangible value, overseas experience has shown that their take-up and success rate are not as great as many as hoped, notably in America, where contact tracing has largely failed due in large part to inadequate testing and testing delays. And there's a link to the New York Times. Thus, it seems to be, it seems that to be effective. Contact tracing apps require timely testing. But at the same time, the data in the app is only as good as the last test, which both assumes that the test produced a correct reading and that the person wasn't affected afterwards. So how can one resolve this dilemma? Thanks very much indeed for those comments. As I say, we're talking mostly about uh, money and finance um, this morning. Joining us, we have David Webb, uh, Chief Editor of uh, Website.com, and uh, also Felix Chung, Liberal Party leader and lawmaker, and uh, others will be joining us later in the programme. Once again, if you want to contribute, drop us a line, backchatter.thk.hk, or give us a call. Felix Chung, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. So, um, you know, the government has been uh, helping out, has been, you know, gave $10,000 to everyone, it's been helping the self-employed, it's been targeting these various industries, it's been spending a lot of money so far. Uh, what about the rest of the year? As we look at the pattern of the disease and we look at what's happening and the problems that are arising, how do you think the government should be spending its money? Um, oh, of 
course, we look at uh, the second half of the year will be a negative sign. Uh, the, the economy is uh, still uh, dropping. Um, actually, without uh, the help from the government, without those uh, three, 300 billion Hong Kong dollars uh, given out by the, <coughs> by the Hong Kong government, certainly the unemployment rate will not be only 6%, it will be probably 8 or 9%. Um, and then, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the government paid out to give everybody uh, 10,000 Hong Kong dollars. Uh, I think we haven't had the chance to spend the $10,000 because uh, a lot of the people still work at home and not going out to spend money. Uh, yesterday, we had some uh, rumors saying that the government may leave um, some hours spent for uh, the catering business that allowed them to have the dinner business till 8 or 9, 9 p.m., but unfortunately, it was not the case. Um, well, then, if we do not have sufficient of economic activities, I mean, then we do worry about um, the economy uh, that we are facing for the next six months until the vaccine has been, uh, uh, will be coming out. Um, Felix, uh, even if we have a vaccine, uh, the outbreak would not be over within this year. It might be all the way until uh, the middle of next year. But, you know, our reserves are, are shrinking, and quite rapidly, $280 billion. It's yes. a lot of money. Yes. Well, um, then we, can, we, we have to think about uh, why do we need that much of reserve? Um, yes, we, the, the government's already spent $300 billion of Hong Kong dollars. Still, they have, eight, still they have $800 billion yeah. reserve in hand. Why, why can't the government spend maybe another 100 billion for the third round of anti-pandemic fund? For example, helping um, some business sector for the rent subsidies. I also suggest um, to help the business sector on, for example, 2% of interest rate subsidies. Then you ask, how much that will be? I mean, if you're thinking about uh, 300 thousand of uh, uh, business registered around roughly around 300,000 business registered um, in, in, in Hong Kong. Have you subsidized them about 30,000 Hong Kong dollars per month for rent subsidies for three months? That will cost around um, uh, two, 20 billion Hong Kong dollars. If you're talking about 2% two, two of um, interest subsidies you're talking about um, hundred, you know, ten billion Hong Kong dollars. You, you mentioned landlord and rent subsidies. Uh, how come landlords in Hong Kong can't do more? And well, we're only asking the government to do more. Uh, uh, well, put it this way: you have to separate the landlord into two categories. One are the big tycoon having all the shopping malls, the big um, uh, listed company. Well, they may. They, they, they are they are for the first category, but they also many landlords which are SMD. They may just have um, 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 rent out their their shop branch and and getting the rent to pay the mortgage. I mean, they are also suffering. So we have to separate that into two different categories. Don't expect the landlord are the richest guy in Hong Kong and they have sufficient of money to support everybody. They also suffering. 
But of course, for those tycoon, I mean, they should do more. But the focus would be then what on SMEs, one way or well, another. The, uh, well, you know, the SME in all different industries are suffering, right? For example, the tourism industry, there's zero business. There's no inbound, mm. inbound, um, outbound business at all. I mean, for the catering business, they, they claim that they only have thirty percent of the business because there's there there's a ban for the, the for the evening business. So for the export business, you know, there is a trade war and the, all the exports are suffering from uh, the, the, the sanction and the trade war situations. So everybody is suffering. So the, the, have the government still having around 800 billion of reserve, uh, so definitely the, the government have to do the third round of anti-pandemic fund, no matter how much it is. I mean, otherwise, there, there, there will be a huge closing down of business and the unemployment will be rising. I mean, the social costs will be much higher. Mm. David Webb, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks for joining us once again. Do you agree? Um, I think the money's got to be, uh, I'm not sure I agree with what, but the money's got to be agree very Agree with well. what Felix Chung was just saying there about... Gen generally, no. Spend, spend, spend. No. <laughs> um, you, you've got to be... Uh, uh, careful with money. Un unlike the um, uh, countries which print their own money, like uh, the UK and the US, where they're, they're simply uh, um, borrowing a lot of money, which is being uh, funded by bonds purchased by their central banks. So in, in, in other words, the banks are then creating the money. We don't have that um, luxury. We actually have to maintain the peg and spend our real reserves on this. Um, uh, the, the reserves have been hoarded. They're actually higher than you think. They're not just 1.1 trillion. There's another 500 billion of profits in the exchange fund, fund which uh, could also be uh, used. Um, so, so it's higher than you think. We could actually manage about four years more of uh, this kind of level of uh, deficit uh, before we got down to near zero reserves. Um, but it has been wasteful spending. For example, the employment subsidy scheme uh, was completely different to all the others in the world. Rather than pay people who had been furloughed because their restaurants had closed or their shops had been forced to close by government law, uh, instead they paid employers um, to maintain, who, who were still employing people, many of whom had no intention of laying off staff. Um, you know, if you're running a um, supermarket, for example, or a convenience store, uh, those have been very much in demand. Uh, their sales have gone up because more people are staying at home and uh, cooking at home, uh, and uh, they need all the staff they can get, and they get paid as well half the cost of those staff, basically. So they, they've, they've got, a, got a bumper windfall there. Instead, the money could have been used to pay for the, the relatively smaller number of unemployed people um, as a result of the uh, um, COVID uh, measures. And that could have then been more sustainable. Um, uh, also, uh, you've got to look at smaller schemes that ought to be implemented. For example, uh, why is it that someone who's feeling sick um, still goes to work and drives their taxi or um, goes to their wet market and opens their stall? Uh, it's because they, if they don't go to work, they don't get paid. Okay, They're self-employed. They really need the money. Um, and there isn't any statutory sick pay scheme that would compensate them for staying at home. So if you're, if you're feeling 
and, and you are in fact symptomatic and you perhaps do have COVID or at least a bad cold, you ought to be staying at home and uh, getting um, compensated for doing so, but you're more likely to go to work. And I think that's why there's been quite a number of clusters um, emerging from um, the, the, the markets uh, not the supermarkets, of course. I mean, have you heard of any major major clusters coming out of the supermarkets? No, because their employees get sick pay. They're on full full employment terms and they're entitled to statutory sick pay. But, but uh, self-employed people are not. So you could think uh, much more creatively about how to shift the incentives to reduce the infection rates. Are you saying the money that money is going to the business owners? That yes. They're, they're the benefit, the employees. Yes, and people will claim it if the they're employees. entitled to it. Okay, I, I have one employee. I claimed the, my entitlement because these reserves have been hoarded for so many years. And if you're going to give me uh, uh, a handout, I will take it. And the $10,000 scheme, again, um, most people didn't need that money. Uh, it's cost $70 billion, including a lot of um, people who live overseas but have a Hong Kong bank account and can claim. That's a nasty cough you've got there, Ada. Mm. Um, uh, and... Um, shouldn't you be at home in bed um she can't afford it um yeah so so uh, you know the 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 ess by the way has overshot its budget uh, they they budgeted 80 billion but it looks like it'll be more like 90 billion because they're already over 80 and they're still processing the applications um they've got about 10 percent left to go uh, and so who's that? Who's that? The employment support subsidy. Okay. Uh, they, they're, doing, they're doing it in batches because they've just been overwhelmed by the paperwork. They mm. didn't put enough people onto it, basically, and so the paperwork's taken too long or they're che checking details of uh, applications. Uh, and there are still several thousand to process. Uh, but, but the last figure was for the first three months it would be over 41 billion, and they're doing it in two, state, two phases, so that's 82 billion, and it's probably going to come out at about 90 billion. Um, you know, the, the, it, it, was a, it was a crazy scheme, uh, but as I said at the time uh, on, on my website, uh, employers must eat this free lunch, and there's a few employers that didn't because they work with the government, is, but most did. But, the, but the, the benefit would be to the employees is that they're less likely to lose their jobs. But many uh, of them were not likely to lose their jobs anyway, mm. so, so you're, you're wasting money by paying money to employers um, who, who were fully intended to, to maintain All their right. staff. F Felix Chung? Well, without that, this ESS um, policy, definitely the unemployment rate will be at least 8 or 9%. Uh, even for some... Yeah, so uh, give them unemployment benefit. We can afford that. It costs much less than, than uh, giving money to, uh, to every employer of every employee in Hong Kong. Well, uh, not the, well, the other, the other 91% who are still employed, no, most of them would scheme, still be employed. Has been, this scheme has been discussed uh, many times on the drawback or advantages. I mean, we shouldn't use this time to discuss this anymore. Because Why? Because it's it was already, so bad. It's already going. It's already going. Well, we are they going to repeat it? That's the question. What uh, do we do with our public finances going forward? And I hope that they don't. Because, uh, you know, if you look at the, the UK, for example, I think they, had, they paid furloughed st uh, staff 80% of their salaries. Up to uh, a cap. Up to yeah. a cap. And, and there's an incentive to go back to work and get the other 20%. You know, you know the, the, every incentive have uh, advantage and disadvantage. This is not the right time for us to discuss this in, at this moment. In the US, just, it was $1,200 well, top well, do you, you US give out money to, uh, to all the uh, business sector. Do not have to pay them back. I mean, can, can the Hong Kong government afford that? Because, the, as you said, the, can, the, the government cannot print the money. Yeah, the we, we, government can print the money, keep, keep, 
Well, you're right. Well, right. We can't we can't afford that kind of wasteful scheme. So so we need to focus more uh, on what we can afford, and also put an end to wasteful projects. There's a hundred billion dollars allocated to building another science park in the Loch Marchal Loop. Now, the, you know, the government should stop trying to direct the economy and allow the free market to function and do what Hong Kong does best rather than what uh, the government thinks we should do best. Uh, they're building another phase of the cyber port. I mean, that white elephant does, is about well, to have that, a baby that, elephant. That, that'll take some time. Uh, but We're going, facing something in, in, in front of ourselves right now. But the we white elephant's going to have a baby elephant. We really don't, don't need that. So. Don't, don't talk about something two years later, mm. happened two years later or three years later. Well, the government's going to be around right, still. So, uh, so we are Felix, right yeah. What, what about the point of uh, spending more creatively and putting the money to people who are really in need? For example, I know a lot of self-employed people. You know, I, yes, I, I don't think I that they, they they cannot even you know get get any money, any subsidy uh, from the government at all. Uh, market hawkers are not getting anything. Uh, yet the, the the wet markets are now being closed down. Well, of course, I agree with that. We should help those are really in need. Um, we all also um, ask the government to pay those those people, those elderly people that's over 65 with their MPF accounts. And this can be easily uh, made uh, with some declarations from 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 those people. I mean, and also some unemployment subsidies. I mean, many people already got unemployed, and those people are really in need. I mean, these sort of people, we certainly uh, will ask the government to do something on the third round of the anti-pandemic fund. Uh, David Webb, uh, you know, this looks like it's going to be a long-term problem. You know, we, hmm. we, it just seems to get longer and longer, doesn't it, the projections? Long haul, yes. I mean, we, don't, you know, we, we probably will have a vaccine or several vaccines, uh, in the market next year, but we don't yet know how long, uh, how, how um, if it, what their efficacy will be. Um, you know, will you give it 100% protection or 70% protection? Um, you know, if it's going to be like the flu vaccine that just reduces the impact but doesn't eliminate it, then uh, what level of infection do we accept as a community? Um, what level of infection does the world accept? Yeah. Um, at what point do they stop all does of the travel restrictions? Does that mean we've got to we've got to we've got to calm down a little bit the spending? We've got to be a little bit more conservative. Um, because yeah. I, well, I I think you know there's there's a there's a need for a root and branch reform of the whole uh, revenue system and and spending as well. Um, you know that. There, there's, I've spoken many times on your shows over the years on the budget uh, reviews about the need to abolish stupid taxes and be more sensible about other taxes. Uh, stamp duty, for example. We've still got cooling measures, don't forget, to stop people um, you know, moving around uh, Hong Kong because every time they move their flat they have to pay um, a, a fee to the government for the privilege of, of uh, buying one flat and selling another one. Um, you know, th those, those measures could go. Um, and, you know, we should also be looking at how we spend the money. Do we really need, for example, a $2 fare scheme for everyone who reaches the age of 60, which I hope to do, um, you know, because um, I've got five years to go, uh, because, you know, I won't need it. And, and most people of the age of 60 don't need that, but it costs about $3 billion a year right. to, to do it. So, Felix Chung, uh, you know, the government has listed its, its stated aims in, in, the pol in its spending, and the aims are first to help businesses stay afloat. That comes first. Do you, you agree with that? 
Um, well, yes, in certain way, because if you don't help the business sector, I mean, the business sector is going down and create a lot of unemployment, and that will end up with a lot of social social mm. uh, cost that will never can we we cannot be as uh, es- estimate. So um, to to help the business sector, oh, certainly it is not just just to help the business sector, but also have to help or, or the individual and employed that as Ada says, a lot of people are self-employed and they do not have the channel to to get any support at all at this moment. So so there is a scheme for, for the self-employed, which is addresses the self-employed. They have got yes, it's only 7500 That's right, 7, yeah, it's not, it's not 7, a lot of money. Which sure. is not enough. But, the, but 100,000, I think, have been helped through that. Just, just quickly before we yes, finish, it, Felix Chung, sorry, I just wanted to give, squeeze in a question for Felix Chung from a listener. Who's, who, this is back on, um, the, uh, on COVID, strictly. Uh, Matthew says, Felix, do you and the Liberal Party support uh, other Beijing political parties' call for a health code system, uh, which would force Hong Kong people to take mandatory virus tests and signed up for an electronic system, surveillance system, which would grant those sign- who signed up access to shopping malls, restaurants, and maybe even public transport and schools? Uh, what's the Liberal Party stance? Would you support a health code system which would give uh, privileges to people who took a test? No, I think the health code systems can uh, work out um, well, but I mean, of course, we do not know the detail. We also need the health code system to go um, go to the through the border. You know, a lot of people have business in China, or they have manufacture they have factory in China. Really need to take care of the business in in China too. I mean. Uh, this is the directions we have to think about it, and ju- cannot just sit here and do nothing. Okay, well, right? Felix Chung, thanks for joining us, Liberal Party leader and uh, legislator as well. We're going to continue the discussion. David Webb staying with us after the news at uh, nine. Please uh, contribute. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address or call us. And the weather, mainly cloudy with a few showers, hot with sunny tools this morning, temperatures up to 31 degrees, squally thunderstorms and more showers later in the outlook. It's going to be windy with heavy squally showers and thunderstorms tomorrow. Still showery on Thursday, 29 degrees now, humidity 78%. ...during which he admitted providing classified information 20 years ago to Chinese intelligence officials in Hong Kong. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Tewerton. We're talking about uh, government spending and uh, COVID-19. David Webb joins us in our central studio. He's chief editor of uh, Website.com, a financial analyst and uh, commentator. We're also joined now by Dr. Fred Koo, who's assistant dean for undergraduate studies and director of the integrated BBA program at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. We'd like to hear from you too. Your questions and comments, please. 233-88266 is the telephone number if you want to join in. Uh, you can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio 3. A uh, couple of, uh, just before we get back to the money, a couple of other comments. Uh, S says, I think there's a difference in restaurants opening for lunch and dinner. Dinner would encourage more group gatherings compared to lunch, which is mainly for grabbing something to eat during work break. It's still a good idea for restaurants to close for dinner while we have clusters in some areas. Also, many have been spread through restaurant group dining. 
Divya says, I would urge the government to discuss school closures as a pressing economic concern. First, having young children at home while parents are working from home puts immense pressure on working parents' productivity. School-aged children need a great deal of adult supervision and Zoom classes are completely meaningless for kindergartners. Second, by keeping schools closed for so long, aren't we also sacrificing tomorrow's economic productivity? Hong Kong kids have been out of school now for seven months. Usually teachers are concerned about the summer holiday loss that many children suffer after just a two-month break. How much ground will kids need to make up after seven or eight-month gap? It's extraordinary that malls and restaurants are open, but libraries, schools and playgrounds are closed. That's from uh, Divya. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, uh, and S says, for your listener to put things into proper perspective... What Dr. Kwokkar Key was trying to explain, this was yesterday's programme, was that those tested negative at one time might become positive later and be silent carriers and still be able to spread the virus and therefore, unless done thoroughly and continuously, it'd be difficult to track the virus and it will not be cost uh, effective. Uh, Jay says, uh, this is responding, I think, to uh, Felix Chung, uh, who said in the first part of the programme that people hadn't really spent their 10000 yet. Jay says, was your first guy out of his head? 40% of the public have probably spent their 10000 on their food and rent. He obviously seems to think people can live on thin air. This government is hell-bent on destroying the quality of life of the poor. This government needs to concentrate on manufacturing different types of masks, clear plastic masks so you can eat underneath and drink underneath, then we get back to business as usual. We need David to head a big investigation bureau into Hong Kong white elephants and get rid of the incompetent elephants that are behind um, the competent idiots that are behind these money pits Jason says I disagree strongly with David the ESS has been a godsend for sectors impacted by the collapse in tourism questions over the sector's long term viability aside remains a huge part of Hong Kong's economy when you add in all the supporting goods and services required to support it I work for an SME that had 50 staff at the start of the pandemic the ESS is essentially being passed on as an unemployment benefit to all staff who would otherwise be getting nothing Without the ESS, Hong Kong would be experiencing truly terrifying levels of misery and destitution. That comes uh, from uh, Jason. John in Sai Kung says dairy farm and mega chains were given about $400 million while operating and creating more profits, etc. Bizarrely, tour coach operators were paid many months ago, long before the people received their 10K. The government has wasted many millions trying to invent, stroke, create an IT hub, but now TikTok, Google and others are pulling out of Hong Kong. The government should not be giving more and more money to big business. That comes from John in Sai Kung. Uh, Dr Ku, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Um, what do you think should be the administration's priorities when it comes to spending in relation to COVID-19 uh, in the rest of this year? Mm -hmm. um, I quite like the idea of ESX, actually. I mean, even though obviously um, the intention itself is nice, but uh, when it comes to the implementation, it's a little bit lousy. So um, I, I would say that... Uh, Having another stage of uh, yes, as an employment support scheme could probably be a good idea, but obviously a more thoughts have to be given when it comes to the implementation detail. But actually, this is something related to the comment that you have uh, mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, when it comes to the comparison between the cash handout and the ESS, I mean, the rationale behind the two policies are actually quite different. When it comes to the cash handout, of course, I mean, the, the benefits 
uh, obvious. I mean, it helps the the public, especially the poor, to relieve uh, immediate financial pressure. But the problem is, I mean, this this amount of money, say 10k, is going to run out pretty quickly. But when it comes to the ESS, I mean, this is more on the support of the firms, the support to the SME, and this is actually quite important. On one hand. SME is the backbone of the economy, of the Hong Kong economy, everyone knows that. Another one is that, I mean, when the pandemic is over, uh, having firms, having the SME survive is actually a very, very crucial factor when we want to have a speedy uh, economy, uh, uh, economic recovery. Um, <clears throat> what, what is the role of the SME, you know, in our economic development, um, uh, Dr. Ku? Uh, you know, as can be seen elsewhere, this pandemic has actually exposed the weaknesses in our systems. Right. So, you know, in our health system, in our economic mm-hmm. system. So we see a lot of economic uh, vulnerabilities um, in Hong Kong. And so we might be looking for a systemic change. For example, we don't need a lot of big offices. A lot of people can work from home. Um, right. And etc. Mm-hmm. It could be it could be possible, obviously. Um, the problem for this kind of system is that it's not going to benefit everyone in the industry or in the economy immediately. Um, there there has been a lot of investigations uh, going on in, in the past several months. For example, I mean, um, it, it, uh, it, it turns out that those people who can actually work from home are usually those um, having you know higher rank in the industry earning more and the lower income group are actually i mean do not actually have this kind of option so um yes i mean on one hand i mean uh using the capacity uh for the citizens to work from home is crucial but this is not going to benefit everyone and at the same time i mean um in, in the longer period of time the government should actually consider uh, investing more in innovation industry or education that that is actually a crucial factor um, what 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 about at your university? Um, you know, a lot of um, uh, universities worldwide are starting online, uh, and well, uh, actually, right. learning online will be a big thing. So, is that a new economic driver? Yeah, it could be. Um, in, in the past several years, actually, there are more and more discussion on this particular aspect. For example, um, in business education. I mean, more and more schools in uh, in the world are considering to offer some kind of uh, online education. I mean, we, we can find a lot of, say, online MBA programs, for example, I mean, even before the, the pandemic. Um, I would say that this is, um, this is some kind of a big direction to go when it comes to online education. But at the same time, we all acknowledge that there are some kind of elements that cannot be replaced completely by an online system. So there is still, I mean, some kind of value for face-to-face education, especially when it comes to the university education. So we don't need to demolish UST and turn it into a housing estate <laughs> yet. I, I don't think. I don't think this is a good way to go. Yeah, because obviously there, there are, there's an option there. I mean, if you, it's not necessarily more uh, doesn't add to GDP, but it might be more efficient if everybody did their degrees online and uh, in the luxury of their own homes. I would say that they, uh, they, they are actually kind of a little bit different. As I've mentioned, I mean, the online education cannot really be used to 100% replace the face-to-face yeah. education, right? I think there's got to be a, a, a step back and a review of what, what is our aim here with this virus, because we had, we had through uh, some good fortune, got the uh, uh, local uh, transmission rate down to zero, 
uh, for several weeks in a row and everything was starting to reopen. Uh, but the, the government took its eye off the ball and wasn't focusing on the weaknesses and the exemptions that they'd granted in the quarantine system. Um, and so they still had um, over-generous exemptions, for example, pilots who certainly need to go to and fro but don't need to go out into the community um, uh, in between. Uh, they, they could be uh, required to um, stay at home for 14 days after they've done a burst of flying um, and then go back into the community. Um, we, we had... Um, weaknesses on the um, uh, cross-border uh, drivers. There was a cluster emerging from a food uh, labelling warehouse, uh, which was uh, almost certainly brought in by a driver, um, and, uh, and, and seamen and so on. Uh, you know, the, those, those things, if we want to go to zero, they have to be tightened up, and that's money well spent if we want to stay down at zero. But do we? Because, you know, other countries are moving on with their lives, the UK is still getting several hundred new cases per day uh, diagnosed, not to mention the ones that don't go diagnosed. Um, uh, several, I think it was last, the last survey of antibodies showed 7% of the whole population has, um, has been infected at some point. Uh, and uh, people are starting to go on holidays again um, with stop and start approaches to, to um, return quarantines. Uh, but maybe the world's getting to a point where they say, look, this wasn't so bad. Um, it can be controlled, it can't be eliminated, and what are we trying to achieve here? And let's just get back, get the economy uh, back up to speed as long as the healthcare system can uh, manage the, uh, the burden of um, the, the uh, caseload. Uh, because, you know, you, you, you can adjust and build your healthcare system over time to, to adapt to that, um, it, you know, and, and deal with the consequences rather than depriving children of their uh, school years um, and their futures, messing up their exam systems um, and bringing the economy to a halt, restauranters having to close and uh, shut down their businesses eventually, um, retailers uh, deprived of tourism and so on. I mean, it's, it's so many negative consequences. And for what real gain? What, how, many, how many overall lives have been spared by some of these measures? And some of them are just utterly pointless. If it's OK to sit one and a half metres away from someone else in a restaurant with my mask off eating at lunchtime, then why do I have to wear a mask when I'm out walking or in a country park? Uh, you know, some of these measures are brought in as deflections from government failures. Rather than focus on the failure of the quarantine uh, border control system, they introduced um, draconian measures requiring uh, mask wearing outdoors when most people, if they're in a crowded place, would wear a mask anyway. They don't need to be legislated to do that. Fred Koo, um, just thinking about SARS, just thinking about a lot of kind of long term of things. After SARS, um, uh, the mainland, uh, through the promotion of tourism and allowing you know the, the more visitors to Hong Kong, you know, had a big effect on the Hong Kong economy, stimulated it in many ways. Do you think could we look forward to something like that again? Because I don't think. I, I can't imagine mainland tourists rushing back to Hong Kong when this is all over in quite, quite the same way. Can you? All right. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I guess, I mean, no no one actually knows the, the answer. But, well, as you have mentioned, I mean, uh, back in 2003, when we, when we first had, uh, say, the individual business scheme, um, the economy was was actually boosted by um, the, 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 this kind of scheme, this kind of quote-unquote support from uh, the mainland China government. Um, but the problem is, as you, as you have mentioned, I mean, the situation nowadays is kind of 
different. And I cannot really imagine that. I mean, we we can have exactly the same kind of rebound in terms of the, our our economic performance. I mean, right after the pandemic. On the other hand, what we can see here is that um, it, I mean, in, in the early two thousands, what we can see here is that once we kind of relied, uh, kind of quote unquote, too much uh, on the uh, mainland on, on the so called support of the uh, mainland China, it actually brings some other kind of problems. For example, when you look at our um, uh, the data of the tourism industry in Hong Kong, I mean. Um, after the individual visit scheme, actually, uh, the mainland tourists uh, are actually making up a, a large proportion of the uh, tourists. So, uh, what does it actually mean to our economy? It means that our economy will, will be even more vulnerable to the economic fluctuation of mainland China. I mean, the same applies to our retail industry. So the the questions that we are facing is uh, on one hand, on one hand, whether this kind of a speedy recovery uh, will be, you know, will it be feasible? That is that is the first question. The second question is uh, actually whether we want it or not. I mean, do we do we want to go back to the same kind of situation after the current pandemic, or are we going to try to? Find some other ways to diversify our economy, to diversify our tourists. For example, diversify the source of the money that you are that, that we are earning. That is actually the second most important question. Well, should we put another ten or twenty billion into Ocean Park, for example, or do we, is one theme park enough? And perhaps we just let uh, Disneyland be that be that theme park. <laughs> You know, then we, then we can shut down Ocean Park and redevelop it because right now it's just a, a black hole of uh, sucking in money um, and staying closed. You know, but you know, if let's let's look forward and say everyone's uh, got the opportunity to have a vaccine, even if there's no compulsory vaccination scheme, and let's assume that it's not totally effective, and there's still levels of virus and infections in the uh, global community, do we still want to keep our borders closed and manage to get down to zero and stay there and have no COVID infections, or will we actually be saying we can't afford to do that anymore? We've got to have international business travel, conventions, exhibitions, trade, tourism and all of those good things, um, uh, you know, stimulating the economy, children back in school facing slight risks, but then they take risks when they cross the road. You know, should we be back to a level of risk that is more sensible after a vaccine is introduced? Because it's not a panacea. So let's say the vaccine comes and doesn't uh, wipe out the virus, because the only virus that's ever been eliminated is smallpox. We're still trying to get rid of polio in pockets of the world. Um, so let's, let's assume that it's still out there and probably in much higher numbers than polio. Um, are, we, are we still going to maintain this sort of uh, lockdown wartime mentality um, or should we just accept the situation and move on? Because okay. I think the, the world has got itself into a, a panic situation led by politicians and the media. Uh, and, there, and there needs to be a cooling off and rethink of the whole situation All right. back, uh, back, to, to, to a norm, normality. OK, back, back to uh, uh, short term and the immediate situation. Tom on Facebook says, information on how many businesses and shops have stopped paying rent would be very useful. It would appear that many 
may include most retail businesses? Question uh, mark. Now that we're in a large-scale shake-up, maybe it would also be time to revisit the idea of an estate tax in Hong Kong. In other countries, young people in their 20s start focusing on buying a home and planning for the future. Almost an impossibility in Hong Kong. The hoarding of real estate and a rent-seeking economy is a classic economic problem, one which Hong Kong has done nothing to stop. Virtually every other country in the world has high taxes on real estate to keep things uh, in check. That comes uh, from Tom. No, uh, you're not going to answer on that one, David Webb. Uh, Jay says, uh, why do we keep... Are you keep censoring ha- me? Yes. Jay says, why do we keep having news on America? We're not interested in their situation. Uh, if they don't wear masks, we want to hear about the economies of the Philippines, how they're getting on with their virus. We want to hear how Thailand is getting on with their virus. We want to hear how Indonesia is getting on with their virus. And India, Backchat is becoming very America-oriented. And what about England? Let's hear lots of ideas from other countries. That is uh, from uh, Jay. Derek says, I don't see the difference between a restaurant being open for lunch or for dinner and the difference between a table for two and a table for four, except the restaurant being able to make a living or not. Um, uh, Umesh says, this is interesting, I know of many people with companies in China who have accounts offices in Hong Kong. They do not hire any employees in those offices except themselves and immediate family members, and they get those extra benefits of up to $54,000 per person. Lucky them, I guess. That's uh, from uh, Umesh. And Jay also says the tax office should be the bureau who knows which people need money and which people do not need money. If you're not registered with the tax bureau, and if not, why not? And those who are not registered with the tax bureau that need to claim money need to register with the tax bureau. That comes uh, from Jay. Uh, Michael says, Dear Backchat, great to hear again from David Webb. Well-informed, intelligent and opinionated, so unlike many of your pundits, not just Mike Rouse. I did not realise that baby white elephants are still being planned and now Cyberport is going to become a herd. You would have thought that Carrie would have been a safe pair of hands, but she's turned out to be just as competent as all the others. Good luck, David. That comes uh, from uh, Michael. And uh, Griffin says, there's a lot of economic sense in what David Webb proposes in terms of the employment subsidy. But, as usual, economists fail to take account of the human factor. Funding employers rather than providing an unemployment benefit may make more financial sense, but it also leads to a disconnect between employers and their staff. Utilising a system where bosses keep their, employers, uh, keep their employees now will ultimately lead to lower unemployment in future as the boss-worker connection remains in place. That comes from Griffin. Dr Koo, do you want to comment on that? actually quite reasonable. I mean, as I've mentioned, I mean, the uh, idea of the employment support scheme is actually quite, quite well. But just that when it comes to implementation, I mean, it's actually extremely difficult. And another, another aspect that we may actually bring in is to um, deal with the rental cost of the SME. I actually quite like the idea suggested by Michael quite several months ago, saying that the government should provide cash bullets for landlords who are willing to reduce the rent of its tenant. But again, I mean, the, the idea or the intention is, is seems, seems to be good, but uh, when it comes to implementation, it, w- it will be crucial. Well, you know, um, you know, in, at business schools, Dr. Ku, uh, uh, I mean, there is a saying that uh, businesses need to create shared value, you know, having a profit, of course, but uh, to, to have the social value. But we don't see that really happening in Hong Kong yet. Why is that? <laughs> Well, um, to be honest, I mean, the idea of uh, creating a value or a little bit earlier version of this is 
so-called the corporate social responsibility, it doesn't really um, happen say ten or or fifteen years ago. It's still a, a part of some some kind of a new idea. Um, well, uh, I would say that uh, some major firms in Hong Kong are actually, I mean, ha- having this kind of uh, initiative. Like, I mean, the New World Development is kind of famous for having their um, CSV initiatives. But um, to be honest, to bring it to everyone in the economy is it, not going to be easy. I mean, um, the idea of uh, shareholder capitalism saying that or suggesting that uh, the objective of the firm is to maximize profit it's actually quite uh, quite prevailing. I mean, in, in the case of Hong Kong, for example. So, uh, it well, of course, it is. If you if you don't, someone else will. I mean, if you if you spend all your profits um, on on helping the needy rather than uh, paying dividends, uh, distributing profits to your shareholders, they'll go and buy someone else's shares instead, and you'll be um, out of capital and out of business. So. You know, there's a role for everyone to play, and uh, um, companies must uh, comply with laws, and people must make laws that uh, companies should obey on environment, on labour, and other things. Um, but then companies must go out and uh, do the best with the capital that they've been allocated, uh, and that's why most of this, uh, uh, whatever you like to call it, CSR or whatever, has, has been is just greenwash. Companies pay lip service to it to to make people quiet, but they then they carry on running their business for profit. Okay, well, let, let's take a test case. Uh, for example, uh, uh, kindergartens. Uh, there was a survey uh, we were discussing mm. on the programme this morning. Uh, 40% of respondents, I think, uh, I think 40% of kindergartens responded, and half of them said that they were, you know, they were facing closure, imminent closure, mm. uh, because of problems. How would you, would you help them, or would you let them go to the wall, or what? David Webb, what would your approach be, to say, for kindergartens? Well, I'd, I'd scrap the employment support subsidy and pay them pay the furloughed staff because they'll they'll obviously the teachers can't work okay. if they're not in the kindergarten i wouldn't uh, support the landlords who, from whom they've been renting property uh, there's a negotiation to be had between the tenants and the landlords in any circumstance and the government shouldn't get in the way of that um, uh, if you feel sorry Wouldn't for the landlords, out, yeah. they can still go out and sell their property. They're still, they've still got the asset, don't forget. And if they've got a mortgage against it and it's uh, more than the value of the property now, but the then ki- the bank the, takes the hit. But the kindergartens that have still got to pay the rent... Uh, As I said, they'll need to they negotiate with their landlords uh, and the landlords will either let the space uh, uh, you know, go empty um, or, or accept a lower rent. Um, that's, that's a commercial situation for them but i don't feel too sorry for landlords given that they've got the capital value of their properties which is much greater than any year's rent um you know if it, if if they uh, are suffering uh, from cash flow then they should sell their property all right so cash for the for the furloughed staff uh, yeah, Fr- uh, fred Koo, how would you support or what would you do for kindergartens or not or nothing <laughs> Um, I think I think the idea is kind of classic. I mean, oh, and by the way, I'd reopen them because the, uh, young children are very unlikely to suffer or transmit uh, um, much from the virus. They get infected, but they have they little or no symptoms. Teachers, yeah. They can spread it to teachers. Um, and little, little or no symptoms. There's very little evidence of that because they don't have symptoms. They're not coughing and sneezing, right? right. So there's very little evidence of asymptomatic transmission as well. Okay. Um, that's what the WHO says. It's not just my ignorant opinion. I've researched this and that's their opinion. Having looked at the contact tracing that has been done all over the world now uh, to see how people got infected... 
There have been okay. very few cases of child to, to adult transmission. Okay, so then you don't have to pay then you don't have to pay them a furlough because they're yeah. they're working. There's right. a risk of of teacher to teacher transmission, right. of course. That's okay. that's different. Uh, Doctor, yeah, Fred Koo, what would you do for kindergartens, if anything? Well, I I am a little bit more inclined to keep the kindergarten operating. I mean, on one hand, yes. I mean, the the risk of the transmission among the children is relatively low, but um, when when you simply let the uh, the free market to operate in this way, saying that, okay, if you suffer some kind of problem, you, if you cannot pay the rent, I mean, you simply shut down, go off the business. Well, this is, this is a classic, classical market economy, free economy. But the problem is, uh, it, what is our objective here? Do we still want to keep the kindergarten uh, operating? I mean, throughout this particular period of pandemic and actually have it running after the pandemic. If you, if you if you consider the cost of shutting it down and then reopen it uh, a while after the pandemic, I mean, this, this is actually costly as well. So um, as, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, the, uh, keeping the business in the industry is actually very important when it comes to when you want to have a speedy recovery. But how long, how long would it take and how long should we do that for? Oh, Another this, year? This is a good question, right? We don't know. We don't know to be sure. Uh, to, to be very honest with you guys, I mean, no one, no one knows what what is the optimal time that we should support the economy or whatsoever. Even though our, you know, government officials saying that okay, we cannot really rely endlessly on this kind of uh, release package. Everyone knows it. Um, I, I don't. I don't think this is a pure economic problem. I mean, uh, we probably have to consult some kind of public health experts to try to estimate. The, I mean, how, how long the pandemic is going going to last? I mean, when will we uh, when will we have the vaccine, and then we will have a more accurate estimate on the risk that we are facing, and then from that we can actually try to build the plan that we have. Okay, just some more comments. A couple of comments to finish off. TC says Sweden's policy in combating COVID uh, is controversial in that there's been no lockdowns, no mandatory mask laws, and people still go to school, work, bars, in an effort to achieve so-called herd immunity. While its death rate may be higher than its Nordic neighbours, it's much lower than the US, UK and Brazil. This brings up a good philosophical dilemma. If Sweden survived without any drastic actions that affect its economy, why do Hong Kong, or any place in the world for that matter, need to guts the economy to combat the uh, uh, COVID mm. and there's a, a link to a story in the uh, New Scientist uh, on that subject. Sam says in an email, the question that needed to be asked is whether the government has dispersed the public, the people's money wisely giving 10k served no purpose beneficiaries were the landlords and civil servants and those earning their uninterrupted monthly salaries government need to think outside the box of a scheme how the money could reach the unemployed and those without an MPF scheme and needy through registration at the district offices protesters and pandems dominating such offices are only serving a dark hand and not the people pressing needs rents and mortgages it would have been much better if rents and mortgages of the first time home buyers waived for six months instead of sweeteners it's now coming to the third month and ess has not reached certain employees as yet that is uh, from sam uh, 
And one more comment on uh, Facebook. This is from uh, Ravi. who says, good to hear David again. Keep well. Um, we echo that. Thank you very much you. indeed for those comments. Thank you to David Webb, chief editor of website.com. And uh, to uh, Dr. Fred Koo, assistant dean for undergraduate studies, director of the integrated BBA program at the Chinese University. And uh, Felix Chung also joining us in the first part of the program this morning. That's it uh, from us. Ada, many thanks to you. And thanks to uh, producers uh, Raphael and uh, Michelle back at 8.30 tomorrow. The weather, mainly cloudy with a few showers. Temperatures up to about 31 degrees. Squally thunderstorms and more showers later. And uh, the wind strengthening gradually. Seas rough with swells. Windy with heavy squally showers and thunderstorms. Tomorrow still showery on Thursday. 29 degrees now with the standby signal number one. The relative humidity is at 78%. For proper tree care, precautionary measures must be taken. Private property owners and property management companies should hire qualified arborists to carry out risk assessment on trees on their property. Mitigation measures recommended by arborists for problematic trees should be taken promptly to ensure public safety. Trees need your love and care. To learn more about proper tree care, check out the Handbook on Tree Management launched by the Development Bureau or visit www.greening.gov.hk. And 33, the news with Samantha Butler. A medical expert has questioned the effectiveness of the government's voluntary COVID-19 testing programme, saying mass testing is traditionally compulsory and done under lockdown conditions. The government is hoping to test up to 5 million people over a two-week period. Dr Siddharth Shridhar, a University of Hong Kong microbiologist, told RTHK some people may think if they don't have symptoms, they won't want to waste their one free test. The Australian state of Victoria has reported its lowest tally of new infections in a month with 222 new cases. The state also reported 17 deaths following yesterday's record of 25 fatalities. And prosecutors, uh, sorry, two men have been charged in the cold case murder of Run DMC's Jam Master Jay. Prosecutors allege that Carl Jordan Jr. and Ronald Washington killed the hip-hop artist over a drug dispute. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. A sociology prof from the university. A set and costume designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. To our oh so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy counts co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is the morning brew. Yeah, and welcome to Tuesday. Good morning. Great to be back with you. I'm Phil Whelan. This is The Morning Brew. Let's see what's happening today. Well, at 10.10, we're going to meet one of the UK's foremost musicians who is just as comfortable on the electric violin playing ACDC as he is being a classical soloist, a conductor and leader of the Super Bingham String Quartet. We're also going to hear some of Steve Bingham's awesome lockdown creations for YouTube. This is another level stuff. After 10. After 10.30, Osboy Jared Watt takes to the airwaves again with all the news that's fit to broadcast. And, of course, some great music. Got three tracks for you. Dr. Merrin Pierce, 